What's up, everybody? This is Jordan Rossler and Derek Ambrosen from the Dynasty Builders Podcast, part of the DLF family of podcasts. Each week, we use film analysis, rookie breakdowns, ADP, analytic tools, and a dose of humor to ensure that you get actionable and practical advice from each and every episode to help you build a dynasty. Sometimes I find myself wishing Penn and Teller still made the TV show bullshit and they specifically focused on narratives, well, fantasy football arguments, frankly. And then I remember that's basically this show, so I guess I better do that. There's been something, it's been bugging me for a long time and I haven't quite had wherewithal, I guess, to put it together into a single argument. Or really connect the dots. And I end up having these mini conversations around the subject. But there is a half-baked-ness to some takes about running backs specifically. that We do it on wide receivers too. And tight ends. But it's where we mix arguments to try and strengthen the narrative. If, if I do something well in fantasy sports, it is to identify what is pure narrative and what's a good versus a bad narrative and weed it out of my process. And this one's been tricky. It's not... And maybe I don't quite have it right, so check me on it. Right, it's just an opinion. But we bolster bad arguments for running backs in, in with no history basic with no evidence that they're particularly good or can overtake a backfield with player evaluation within a weak situation right let me back up there are basically or i'm going to divide strategy or theory in fantasy football on a player take right a draft pick that you want to make in a league format whatever um, you can, and the way they separate out in my head, and these terms are used, have very specific definitions, but there's structural arguments or structural drafting tendencies, and then there's player evaluation, okay? And there's a whole bunch of different things that fall under both banners, okay? And I know those terms are kind of borrowed rather than redefined, but what do I mean by this? Structural drafting is something where I don't know if there is a strict definition of it, but Josh Hernsmeyer wrote an article for Rotovis back in the day, about a year or two ago, literally titled Structural Drafting, Finding an Edge of Fantasy or something like that. And his basic idea was that we are so bad at projecting, even the best projections are fairly poor, statistically speaking, because we're dealing with so many different variables and football is such a small sample sport, that you should fade the most extremely extreme variables in those projections. And essentially what he was saying is trade for proven players and devalue rookie picks or rather don't devalue them but trade them and trade rookies and concentrate on acquiring assets that we are better at projecting and valuing correctly and that's basically players who have done things before aj brown starts to enter that category don't panic but rookies players that we hope might break out this year they're just less trustable and that's a whole article boiled down to a few short sentences but you get the idea and he was opposing this basically to player evaluation, like the idea that we can scrape just enough signal to pair with draft capital to beat 
essentially beat the draft, what NFL teams are trying to do in the NFL draft. It's It all boils down to essentially a lottery. We have some signal. I spent a lot of time eking out what I think I've, other people have found that I use and something that I think I kick further down the road, whatever. And those are the two things I'm paralleling. But it's not just about draft strategy and what to value. It's... Tr- we try to make fundamental assumptions about what we know and what they can tell us about what's likely to happen in the future. What stat tells us best about who's going to get volume next year? How often do players have a great career after hitting 10% target share? So on and so forth. But when we look at an individual season and we're looking for edges, we're looking for who is going to be those unexpected players. We can go basically at the t- same two different branches from player evaluation, you go, well, this player, I generally believe, has more talent than the average bear or NFL player. And so I think he will eke out a significant opportunity and put up more fantasy points than his ADP currently suggests, which makes him a value. Player evaluation. With structural drafting tendencies or that branch of logic, what you say is, I can't really project. But what I know is... Here is a contested situation with no clear running back. The team is going to run at least enough times for a running back if they had a significant portion of it to be fantasy relevant. They're being drafted outside the top eight rounds or so. I'm hoping that a player from this backfield will break out to be more significantly fantasy valuable than his ADP currently suggests. So you don't start with a player, you start with the situation, which is fine. I get it. But I normally end up pushing back against both of those because my typical idea is players drive um points players drive uh fantasy relevant performances more so than situation every time we get a bad running back core there is no Le'Veon bell there's no saquon barkley we're like "Ooh, who's it gonna be and the answer is usually n- n- no one right and there are some instances, like last year, we were arguing over and over and over and over again about the Shanahan backfield in in uh, San Francisco and how Jimmy was going to be better and so on and so forth. And all these ideas that the team situation could be fundamentally better than the, the current ADPs were suggesting. And then we looked at the backfield and we're like, mm, who's it going to be, right? Jerick McKinnon, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert turned out. Now, in most of those situations, I'll talk about... I usually use levels of proje- projection or points to evaluate whether a player has made it, right, into the category of having proven something, right? Which is why I hate splits. I hate five-game sample sizes where a player runs up because mostly it's just noise. It's individual spikes. It's just having good performances and a few good games um, or scheme and a whole bunch of stuff that I probably don't even understand as well as most people Listening to this, they were schemed because of the type of defense they were facing, so most of it was the best pick. Sure, whatever. That's mostly the value we get out of those situations, because, and I can't say this clearly enough, like, I can say this plainly, and you know I put caveats and, you know, understand the fundamentals, and now here's my narrative. There's no need to differentiate this here. It is a one in a thousand, one in a hundred, one in two hundred, maybe, I guess, chat time when we find a player that we genuinely don't think is a top five talent who becomes a top five talent and we say the situation the situation was what what was leading that honestly i can't come up with one off the top of my head mostly what we get but the thing about looking at top five top 12 top 24 and i mean this real clear is that 
it doesn't talk about distribution, right? Raheem Mostert was really valuable for a few games. They could have won you weeks. It's not like you don't want those players. But it's a different type of target. It's not a player you're looking to be a Saquon Barkley, a Le'Veon Bell, or, uh, even an Austin Eckler last year, and what we hope Austin Eckler could be this year, or Miles Sanders and his potential growth. This player is going to be a lot more useful, at least during a stretch, than we think. We're not even really thinking about hitting top 24 levels or having extended dynasty value. I know most of it had overinflated value for a while, but pretty much everyone that reported on it or talked about it or analyzed it or tried to get a trade realized that the ADP did not reflect his actual value. No one was actually buying and selling at those values. It's just there's always a guy in your draft who's like, those five games are going to be forever. And that's what it was, right? So there's a different type of value in those situations. And the idea you're going to get a long-term, especially dynasty asset from weak situations where you just eke out who which player you think can really earn a decent enough opportunity to break out. Now, the, the, the counter example to this with, again, targeting through structural drafting reasoning would be Baltimore, right? Marking was great. I will point out there was great more for a section than the whole season, but there's a player that you could definitely say we could evaluate through player evaluation and say that guy is superior with a better proven track record and so on and so forth. But again, still, even in that situation, you're seeing distribution upside, not complete season upside, not long-term dynasty value. So I really think, I guess, base level, when you see a weak situation, and that's what's highlighting it, structural drafting reasoning, we don't know, there might be extra value here, their ADPs are low. That's the type of upside you're looking at. Whereas player evaluation, if we get that right, is where we get the longer-term, higher upside, top 12, top 24, top 5, extended value for at least two years, kind of a kind of a player. That's just my experience, and it seems to be what I see when I track back. But, you know, I, I'm happy to accept counter examples. And obviously, you know, structural drafting theory, as I'm terming it, could lead to one of those examples. Maybe that's how you got to Austin Eckler, for example. You just were unsure about Mevin Gordon, whatever. It can work. My problem is, or the problem I'm having is when we're using these two different theories to produce targets, and then we borrow from the other one to bolster the argument. That's essentially either, at best, double-counting, and at worst, fabricating a narrative from the ether, and then just bombarding people with good ideas from both sides, but do not relate to the narrative that we've used to bridge them. And this is getting slightly confusing. Um... Let's do an example. Um, player evaluation puts you... I already did San Francisco. Let's just go straight to the one that's really bugging me about right now, and that's Kansas City. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, right? Everyone complaining, half complaining that we're pushing him up too high and half complaining you can't push him up high enough, essentially, is what everyone argues on Twitter. I honestly think the distribution of actual opinions is... A lot broader, and his ADP doesn't seem to be rising exponentially more than it was. He's still in the conversation with Jonathan Taylor. Anyone who didn't have him there, honestly, that's why I, I don't, don't understand why not. But still, he's in top two now. Right? He's in the top two for a lot of us already. So how does all this guff that I was saying before fit into this situation? <clears throat> Clyde Ebersolet, if you valued him as a top 12 running back for 2020 season, which I did. That's where he was in my ranks. He top two in rookie value. I thought he had top 12 upside. So that's where I put him with running backs. You want it early, you want it often. There's a whole bunch of 
reasons that go into that. But there's no reason Damian Williams sitting out for the 2020 season improves that. If that's where I was, if that's where you were, and you're thinking Damian Williams affects him, then essentially what you were saying, you were ranking him there, not believing he could eke out a good enough role to be a top 12 running back. If Damian Williams is 50-50ing it, that's a team situation area. That's that's There is no player significantly talented enough to push others out the way to co-opt enough of the volume that they become a top 12 running back, which is how we should really think about top 12 running backs. The majority of them are. I really can't come up with a great example that has done that in the last few years. I'm sure there's some, but like the vast majority are not players who just happen to have the bigger part of a timeshare and when they were exponentially valuable in Dynasty and beyond, or even in that season for a season-long length, it's normally the distribution value. So what what are you doing? If you were already valuing him, you really liked him as a top two rookie pick, top three rookie pick, you had him as a top 12 running back. If you push him up further than that, all you're basically saying was, I had a really weak take before, and now I want to get ahead of everyone else. That's where I wanted to be anyway. But Damian Williams, I thought, was a significant threat to him that the, they would split the backfield, essentially taking top 12 off the table, but I was ranking him there anyway. And if you had him in the top 24, sure, he's a pass catcher, Miles Sanders, whatever. Discount Austin Eckler, I really like Austin Eckler. Then um, Damon Williams goes down and you see that there is more opportunity. And for a player that you didn't think was that kind of talent, therefore there's more available. I really, one, I really don't think that's the way opportunity works, frankly. Um, but, okay, I get that. But you don't push him into the top 12 because Damian Williams isn't there. And while we're on the fact, why is Karen Johnson and Marlon Mack less of a threat than Damian Williams? Damian Williams is one of those distribution values for a very short time over the last two years. It was a very hard-fought, well-structured argument for why Damian Williams might be better than we thought he was, and he never proved to be that. So why is he getting double-counted higher than Mack and Karen Johnson, who have both had Pretty damn close to top 12 seasons. Kerry Johnson was a top 13 running back before he got injured last year. Marlon Mack's been a top 24 running back or top 15 running back for the last two years. That's like what we wanted out of Damian Williams. But anyway. So what's going on here? If you, if you didn't have him in the top 12 already, you didn't think he was a good enough player to earn that role. Which means... What, you don't think the Chiefs can find any other running back to take up a significant portion of a backfield for a player that isn't good enough to co-opt a running back who's never really been able to do it either? That doesn't make sense. Or you're saying that you were behind on your own opinion. You were just you were just too afraid to say what you thought of him. In which case, I don't know, it sounds like you're just trying to catch up on what you think is going to be the hype. Either way, it's not really an opinion I want to follow. <laughs> like, that's not that's not a process that I particularly want to let influence how I draft or how I value players. You're either going with the wind, or you just fundamentally mix and match how volume works depending on how it feels when a player is or isn't available. Or you don't see, you know, the, the readily availability of other running backs at Damian Williams' level. Now, again... 
hoping to have a conversation with Jacob Rickroad soon and I should get prepared for that and stop being so loose with my ideas but on this podcast but like running backs can have significant difference over each other Saquon Barkley is a significantly different running back on your team than Marlon Mack but we're not talking about those level of players when we're talking about Damian Williams that is the definition of replaceable talent at the running back position that is a slot receiver of wide receiver if, if we're going to be fair and do both positions, and so my wide receiver bias doesn't see... Like, what, slot receivers are remarkably replaceable in terms of finding someone to take significant volume at that level of ADOT. They're a lot more replaceable than those outside targets. And that's what Damian Williams is in the running back position. Yes, they can find someone else to fill up that much volume. And if you th- think he's better than that, then several. And why not? If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire wasn't able to push Damian Williams out of the way for a significant share or be talented enough to use his receiving role with touchdown ability to create a Mark Ingram-level upside, then why the hell would he do it when Damian Williams isn't there? It doesn't make any sense. It, it really doesn't. I, I, like I've bashed my head against the desk a number of times trying to understand why anyone would be affected by this news drastically. The only difference is, if you had hope for Damian Williams, and we're going for the structural draft theory of Damian Williams is a little bit cheaper... He has been, had replaceable upside. I'm not saying he's not a good NFL player. I'm saying he's not Saquon Barkley or Marlon Mack. That's far from an from attack on Damian Williams. And in the most uh, talent, on the, on the most powerful offense in the world, I get that sort of hedge structural drafting bet. That's the effect. Damn, I, I was really hoping Damian Williams could provide more value than his ADP suggested. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's value was already elevated to the point where we were saying we thought what the team had said, what his draft capital had said, and what he did in that one year in college was enough to bet on that he could push out significant opportunity or pull in significant opportunity for himself. And again, if you weren't in that situation, you were ranking him more as a top 24 guy with Damian Williams getting the majority or an equal split and them both ending up there. Damian Williams not being there doesn't mean that your player evaluation of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire should rise like can find a lot of split running backs. You can find a lot of slot receivers if you happen to lose one in the NFL. It's just it's just a thing, unfortunately. Or at least how teams treat the positions. So what what are you doing? Like now he's more talented? What? You want more talented since the draft somehow? With that Damian Williams there, the concerns you have for Clyde Wetzelaire's talent no longer exist? No, it's because the, vo- the vacuum's there. What if... Again, if he wasn't good enough to cake enough away from Damian Williams, then the team still thinks that, right? So they've got several months before, several weeks before the season starts, or other players on the depth chart, or maybe the rushing volume just decreases. If you don't think the player is capable of making it or creating it, why would he do it because someone else isn't there to make and create their own to fill out the rushing game. I mean, there's a million ways that can go wrong. In fact, there are only ways that can go wrong. And there's one magical, mythical, I can't think of an example of when it ever happened, season of when it when it happened. Like, So what are you doing, top 24 Clyde Evers leg guy? Again, you're trying, I guess, trying to keep up with the hype. I think it's not going to happen, so I'll still have him lower than everyone else. But just in case it does happen, I won't be far too far away. Like... It's nearly the season. It's long past, I don't want to be wrong season. This is where we willingly get wrong. 
There's nothing that has happened since the draft really drastically affected, especially rookie ranks. What are you doing, Charlie? I don't know if your name's Charlie, but I'm going to call you Charlie. It's kind of crazy. All right, I got a little negative. I didn't mean it to be. It was meant to be funny. So I'm going to end it. I'm going to end it. We're getting out of here. I do want to say this wasn't an attack on Ronald Jones or Ronald Jones truthers. I have to say some of my best friends are Ronald Jones truthers. I know they suffer a lot. But, yeah, at this point, Ronald Jones' hope rests on a team situation that we hope is going to be better. We're all done with player evaluation. I'm sorry. Us haters got proved right. I know it's painful. I know he's been injured. I know you were hoping for more. But the upside of a player like Ronald Jones and or Darius Geis and Antonio Gibson, for that matter, in those situations, because we're talking to them because there's no clear running back with a clearly above-average talent profile that or they've already proven themselves to be decent in the nfl the upside there is a cell window that's another thing that i think is worth in keeping in mind in dynasty like if you're into ronald jones for the 2020 season i kind of get it from the team structural drafting standpoint um i really do team's going to be better uh, the, all their adps are fairly low but the upside would be one 2020 points which i'm all about i'm all about points we want to win but Dynasty, it's a sell window. It's worth keeping that in mind. It's not, hey, I have now a top 24, top 12 running back. And again, like I stressed before, you really shouldn't be excited about the upside of a top 24 running back. Like the, They're the most overdrafted and overvalued assets in Dynasty football. Not running backs limit, limited to a top 24 ceiling running backs which is definitely what we're getting from these types of team situation arguments. But anyway, um, Keyshawn Vaughn actually is the only one with a little more upside than that one. And it's not because he's younger. You know, I'm not a youth zealot, but it kind of comes from that because it's frank, there's just a more of a mystery about who Keyshawn Vaughn is than Ronald Jones, which can create dynasty value in and of itself if you make any kind of splash on a points per game basis. And also it means he might be a higher level talent than we've seen in Tampa Bay so far because Tampa Bay again the team situation has not created running back for the running I do think there are teams that can create running back value so it's an intermix between the team what they want to do and also the player and that player's particularly type of talent there's a there's more of an in uh, what am I talking about a continuum or a connection between those asset those aspects of the game that create the type of players we're looking for it's not just team situation versus what being an exceptionally good player, for example. But I do think it's important to start off, or it's useful to start off from that concept, that you're going to get a, a running back that offers a lot of value on a distribution level. He's going to have weeks that uh, win you a season, but he's not going to have a lot of long-term or season-long value because it's just not the type of situations we find them in. Well, there you're looking for a running back that, distances themselves significantly from the from from the crowd and if the player evaluation isn't leading us to a player on that depth chart and instead we're highlighting it through the team situation then that's not what we're finding and crossing over the two but again i'm going back over my rant about why these two things shouldn't always be crossed over the way they sometimes are i'm gonna get out of here but again i just wanted to say this is this was not like a subtweet of ronald jones truthers at all really
It's more about Clyde Hebb's lair. Let's say so. All right. I'm going to get out of here. Hope you enjoyed the episode this week. I hope some of it was at least entertaining. <laughs> or at least, you know, rants can be entertaining. Maybe, maybe you don't like them and you turned off a long time ago. I don't know. But I got to go. It's late. I got to get up in the morning. Uh, thanks for checking in with the Dynasty Crossroads. I have actually booked guests out for the next few weeks. Got all organized one wet Wednesday. Um, and I have guests coming in for the following few weeks. So that's good. I, I need some people to come in here and get me back on the rails and, you know, contain the whatever. Um, I think it's going to be fun. Um, really looking forward to talking to all of them, actually. Um, I will see you next week when you will find out who that first guest is. Thanks for checking out. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play it run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.